Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Go to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Look at verse 19. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens. And his kingdom rules over what? His kingdom rules over what? The kingdom of God rules over all. As we talked about last week, we looked at the prophecy and the vision King Nebuchadnezzar had and Daniel interpreted. In the dream, there was a statue that represented the different kingdoms of men at that time and even kingdoms to come. And as Nebuchadnezzar beheld it, a rock not cut with human hands came from a mountain and it struck the feet of the statue and the whole statue that represented the kings of men crumbled and blew away with the wind. And Daniel said, that is the kingdom of God. It's another way to have a picture image of how the kingdom of God rules over all and it's greater than every kingdom of men. So go to Mark chapter 1. Verse 14, we covered a lot of ground last week. I encourage you to go online, go on YouTube, go on Facebook, go on our podcast and listen to it if you missed it last week. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So what was the gospel he was preaching? Of the what? So he was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, change your mind, change your direction and believe the gospel. Which gospel? The gospel of the kingdom of God. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, come ye after me and I'll make you fishers of men. Straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went into Capernaum. So one of the things Mark doesn't cover in his gospel, as you see in the other gospels, that Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John right after a miraculous catch of fish. Anybody remember that story in the gospel? That Peter... Let Jesus use his boat. It's pretty good to let Jesus get in your boat. And Jesus was preaching a long time. Peter was cleaning the nets. That was a long process. And then Jesus turned to him because he says, Peter, remember, it's the middle of the day. The sea is clear. Cast your nets out for a great catch. 
And Peter was like, look, preacher, you're really good at preaching and all, but I'm a fisherman. The fish aren't jumping in the net today. They're not biting today. We fished and toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll throw in a net. Jesus said, nets. Peter threw in that old raggedy net because, like, well, if I don't clean it today, I'm fine. But then he had a net-breaking load catch. Now, net-breaking is not a good catch. Do you know why? Every fish that swims out is money. You don't want that net to break. You want to catch everything. Amen? So you don't want, don't say, oh, I'm believing for a net-breaking catch fish. No, I'm believing to catch all those fish. Nothing swims out. And so as they began to pull it in, they said they had to call all their partners to get the rest of the fish. Who were the partners? James, John, and others. And as they began to pull it in, that Peter fell to his knees. Jesus' knees. Why not his feet? There's too many fish. And repented. And it says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. What was the sin? Bringing an unclean offering before a clean God. He knew he wasn't supposed to throw that old raggedy net. He knew he was supposed to obey the word of God. And see, yet God still blessed him even though he didn't do everything he was supposed to do. Now, he didn't receive everything he could have, but he was still blessed. Could it be you haven't seen the fullness of the blessing in your life because you're not fully obedient? That God is blessing you as much as he can? And it's not if it's God wanting to bless you, he does. It's just some things we talked about on Wednesday night is some of you have become professional blockers of the blessing. That you're so good at blocking the blessing, there are NFL teams that should hire you to protect their quarterback. It's not that God doesn't want to bless you. It's not that God's not determined to bless you. It's just you've been blocking the blessings with some of your actions. Your actions did not change God's mind about you. It's just your actions just blocking stuff. And so Peter was still blessed. How many say Peter was still blessed? But he would have been even more blessed. And so after he had this miraculous catch of fish, you know what the first thing he probably would have done was? Sell the fish. Come on, that's, you can't eat all that fish. The next stop is the marketplace. But Jesus says, come after me. And I'll make you fish with me. And they left everything, including all of that money on the shore. Keep that in your mind as we keep going through this message. So they go to Capernaum, the city of Jesus. This is where his house was. As we said, Jesus was not homeless. We don't take care of the homeless because Jesus was homeless. We take care of the homeless because it's what we're supposed to do. Your Savior wasn't homeless. Let me say it again. Your Savior wasn't homeless. You don't think God in his provision didn't think, you know what? I'm going to have my son born at the fullness of time. It's called the Galatians. Maybe I should get a house for him. Jesus had a house. And when they went to Capernaum, straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught us one who had authority, not as the scribes. What was he teaching on? The kingdom of God. And as he taught, a man in the church with an unclean spirit, cried out. So that man had been coming to church for a while with his demon. Just because they come to church doesn't mean they're marriage material. I saw them in church. Good. They lifted their hands. Great. That means they won. No. 
saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you? Jesus of Nazareth, are you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, shut up and get out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, one thing about unclean spirits, they love to draw attention to themselves. He came out of them, and they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? What is the doctrine? The teaching of the kingdom of God. What new teaching of the kingdom of God is this? For with authority commands he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread about through all the region around about Galilee. And forthwith, when they came out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew, right next to the synagogue, with James and John. But Simon's wife, mother, lay sick of a fever, and they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. One of the other gospels says he rebuked the fever, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with them followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for you. Everybody's looking for you, Jesus. Why'd you leave? And he says, Let us go into the next towns that I might preach there also. For therefore came I forth, and he preached in the synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Luke 4.43 says it this way, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. So we know the message Jesus preaching and teaching in this first part of his ministry. Now, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. So everybody who hears about Jesus at this point, because Jesus had different messages depending on what part of his ministry he was in, they hear there's this dude preaching. He's traveling around. He's an itinerant preacher. Preaching and teaching this message on the kingdom of God. So everybody knows this is what he's preaching, right? And as he preaches on it, people get healed. He's healing everybody. As he preaches and teaches on the kingdom of God, people who are possessed get delivered. As he's preaching and teaching on the kingdom of God. And Mark chapter 2, verse 1, and again he entered into Capernaum. After some days it was noise abroad that he was in the house. Some commentators believe this was Jesus' house. Others believe it was Peter's house. So he's in one of those two houses, and straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much about the door, and he preached the word unto them. What word is he preaching? The kingdom of God. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, someone paralyzed, which was carried by four people. And when they could not come near to him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. You know, this is some boldness. At least somebody had a crazy idea because they, you know, they believed so much in Jesus that they believed if they could get their friend to Jesus, he would be healed. How much do you believe in Jesus to get your friend to Jesus? How much do you believe in what Jesus does here to get them to church? And so they believed so much. They said, we can't get through the crowd. But maybe, just maybe, that's why you can't have some crazy faith people in your life who just dare to believe God even when it looks crazy. What if we climbed on top of the roof? Just, just, just what if we cut a hole in said roof and we lower him down in front of Jesus? You know, someone had to say, well, what if we drop him? And someone says, well, we can't get much worse. 
And so they go ahead with this crazy plan how Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of God. He's teaching on the kingdom of God. And, you know, some rubble starts falling from the house. Some sticks or whatever, hay, whatever starts falling. And, you know, people get distracted as he's teaching on the kingdom of God. And now there's a hole in the roof. And Jesus keeps teaching on the kingdom of God. And they lower this dude in. And Jesus is still teaching on the kingdom of God. And then he says he saw their faith. Who? The four people looking through the hole in the roof and the man being lowered down because he had had some faith. Because he could have tried to follow him off. You are not putting me on that roof. Let me go. No, they had faith. And he saw their faith. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Because the same power that forgives is the same power that heals. And so when he said, son, your sins are forgiven you, what happened next? People in the crowd... Now, this wasn't a hostile crowd. This was a friendly crowd. They were in Jesus' house or Peter's house. It says, and when you read the other gospels, the presence of the Lord was there to heal them. And so they were open, but they had some religious questions. They said, who is this that can forgive sins? Why does this preacher say these blasphemous things? And he says, so, he, says he answered their thoughts, saying, so that you know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins get up and walk and the man was healed that very moment and what did everybody in that room do they began to glorify God they began to praise God and so hearing the kingdom of God preached and seeing the results of the power of the kingdom of God caused these four men to bring their friend to Jesus we can't just invite people to church we have to bring them because we actually believe that when they get into the presence of God, something can happen in their life. So we have to be not just people who say, well, the word will bring them. Well, cool. But you know, that's kind of a lazy excuse. And one of the things, if you've been in this movement long enough, you remember how the word about the word was spread. And people will come because the word was being taught. That was a revival. But sometimes, somehow in a revival, we got lazy, expecting the teaching word to keep bringing people. And so we just kept coming and stopped bringing people. So we have to learn once again that although the Holy Ghost is still moving, we can't just be inviters or let the word bring people. We have to bring people. Because we understand the power of an empty seat. Now I know it's daylight savings. People, there's probably more people at 1130. I know people are tired. People are sleepy. I got a whole bunch of caffeine in me now. I get it. I get it. But just think about a normal Sunday. What does an empty seat represent? Who could be in this seat? Who could be in that seat? What if there's a single mom just struggling. She's been doing all that she could to keep her head above water, working two jobs, trying to take care of the kids. But the stress is getting to her. The pressure is getting to her. And her kids can't see it, but now she's battling depression. And now she's going back and forth. Do I end my life or not? But you ran into her in Target. You couldn't see what's going on. But you had that moment to say, hey, 
you know, we have a great kids ministry at our church. Our ki- your kids will love it. And why don't you just come to church? It's like, oh, I just need a moment from away from these kids. I love them. I just need a moment. But I have a baby. So, well, why don't you just come to church? And church goes for about an hour and a half to two hours. You got a two-hour break, and your kids will be taken care of. Well, what about this man who could be sitting in that seat? You know, he's been doing pretty good, working hard. Then he lost his job. He goes to all these other jobs, but they tell him he's too qualified for them. And so he can't get hired. And he'd been doing really good. But somehow, on a bad day, he begins to drink. And he becomes an alcoholic. He knows how to present himself in a way that no one knows what's going on. But on the inside, he is so tormented. He doesn't know what he's going to do in his next step. But you saw him in Starbucks. He's like, oh, he looks put together. I don't need to ask him, invite him to church. Just because people look put together doesn't mean they don't need your Jesus. But you ran into them. And who knows that if you invited them that Sunday, the word of deliverance would have set them free. It's the power of an empty seat. Every seat matters. We want to fill this house so we can have an ego. Oh, man, church was full on Sunday. Well, great church was full, maybe, possibly. So, oh, church is full? That means a big offering. Not necessarily. Lord, have mercy. Another story. But what does it mean if we fill every seat? Someone else has an opportunity to encounter Jesus. Someone has another opportunity to experience Jesus. Not because we're making this a country club for the holy. But we actually believe the word works. That whether they believe in Jesus or not, whether they believe in God or not, we bring them and they encounter him. So you said you mean you want heathens in church? Yes. You mean you want people of other religions in this church? Yes. You mean you want drug addicts in this church? Yes. You mean you want people who smell like weed in this church? Yes. Why? I believe the word works. I believe that the anointing still removes burdens, still destroys yokes. I believe in the power of the kingdom of God. And if you bring them, they'll encounter that power. We have to have as much faith as those four people did in Mark chapter 2. I remember when I was preaching in Zimbabwe a couple years ago. There was this young girl that I didn't know the situation. I heard the backstory later. They brought her to me and they said she had worms. Now what happened is it wasn't, it didn't come from something she ate. They took her to all the doctors in South Africa and a few in Zimbabwe. And they said, you know, we can't find any natural cause for this. So it's cultural. And they told me later when the doctors say over there, it's cultural, it's cold word, a witch doctor cursed her. So do you know what the grandma did? She brought her to the meeting. They brought her up. They didn't tell me the backstory. They just said she had worms. So all I knew to say is burn it out, Jesus. They said after church, she went to the restroom. They were all gone. 
Why? That woman of God believed enough in the power of the kingdom of God that although darkness try to get my grandbaby, if I bring my grandbaby to the house of God, God will meet her there and bring her deliverance. We have to have that same faith that if we start bringing people who are far from God to the house of God, they will run into God. We're not here for religious services. We're here for faith experiences. We want people to experience God. We want people to experience his word, experience his presence, experience his love. And we'll see more great manifestations like that if you bring people. See, yes, the gifts of the Spirit make Jesus famous, and yes, they encourage and strengthen the church. And there's certain manifestations that are for the church. But there are certain manifestations that work for the people of the world so they can see your Jesus still does stuff today. So you have to bring them. So parents, that might mean you have to get your kids up even earlier because they invite their kids to, they invite their friends to church. You might say, well, man, I don't want you hanging around so-and-so because they always get in trouble. Now, don't be surprised when they invite so-and-so to church and you got to pick them up. So you either believe the word's going to help so-and-so or you just don't want so-and-so in your car. Because you might say, well, my kids aren't inviting people to church. Well, that's because you don't invite people to church. See, I remember when I was a youth pastor, you know, parents would get these new cars and I was just extra enough, I'd go ahead and lay hands on the car and say, Father, fill it with teenagers. And like, Pastor, what, 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 what you doing? Well, one car I lay hands and fill it with children, and they started bringing a whole bunch of extra kids to kids, where I was like, I should have been more specific. I should have said teenagers this time. Why? Because what happened? We started having these teens who believed enough, they started bringing people. We had teenagers walking to church from the neighborhood. Because someone said, hey, you should come, you should come, you should come, you should come. We have to be bringers if we want people to experience God. That we're not just waiting for a revival and awakening to drop out of heaven. We actually believe we can ignite one. That through our prayers, through our actions, we can actually ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. But it's going to happen as we bring people, as we invite people. Some people will tell you no a hundred times, and you keep inviting them. They say, well, when will you stop inviting me? When you say yes. And they may just say, fine, to shut you up. Or we give them that one opportunity. Because just one day may just be what they need. You got to think about how many opportunities and invites people gave you. And how long you resisted. But suddenly, it dawned on you. Aren't you glad someone invited you? Aren't you glad someone told you about Jesus? Aren't you glad someone brought you and was patient with you? And then after you come, they come to church, make a decision, you follow up with them. Hey, did you enjoy church? Yeah. Well, you should come back. It's not just the preacher. It'd be one thing if the preacher was the only anointed person at church. But this is the body of Christ, the body of the anointed ones. We're all anointed. We all have different assignments. But we're all in this together if we actually expect to ignite an awakening. If we expect to make a difference in our community, in our city, in our state. The kingdom of God is not in a word or a philosophy, as Paul says, but it's in power. And Jesus went on to say later that the kingdom of God is within you. 
as the Lord addressed to us in prophecy and tongues, interpretation of tongues earlier. He wants to bring things that he put within you out. He wants the kingdom he's placed within you to be manifested on the outside. Kind of liking hanging down here with you guys today. Not sure if the media team likes it, but I like it. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. The kingdom of God rules over all. And you have to understand, there is an economy in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does have a financial system, and it never has a recession. It never has a depression. And the kingdom of God never has a shutdown. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So people say, well, see, money. No. Mammon also represents a Syrian God. So it's talking about you can't serve God and the devil. And the devil will try to use the deceitfulness of riches to make you serve him. Now, deceitfulness of riches just means you're deceived by riches. So if you think money is the answer to all your problems, you are deceived by riches. If you think money is evil, you are deceived by riches. Money is neither good nor bad. It's just an amplifier. He says, oh, they went crazy after they got money. No, they're already crazy. They're just too broke for you to notice. <laughs> you couldn't tell. The broke covered it up. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Now, he's not saying don't think about it. That's not what that phrase means. That phrase means don't worry about it. Don't be full of care about what you eat or drink or what you wear. Because is not your life more than food and your body more than clothes? Behold, the birds of the air, they don't sow, they don't reap, nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you much better than a bird? Some of you may not know the answer. Yes, you are better than a bird. Some of you plan to go eat some birds as soon as I dismiss. You are better than a bird. Now, I know there are people in culture today who, are, who don't know are humans better than birds. Yes, Jesus thinks you're better than a bird. But what he says here, your heavenly father feeds the birds. Think about, have you ever seen people who just love to feed birds? They build all these bird feeders. They, some people go to parks and they throw breadcrumbs and they just feed the birds. They don't know they're being used by God to feed birds. That these birds, they're resourceful. They find bread in all these places. You go to major cities and these pigeons like gangsters, they got food everywhere. They are well fed. Why? Your heavenly father feeds them. So if your heavenly father can move on people's hearts to build birdhouses, come on. If there are people who just like to go to the park and feed birds, if he could do that for some dirty birds, why can't he do it for you? This is not just about getting your needs met. He already said, I'll do that. He said, I got that. When will you believe him for more than your needs? 
instead of the, he says, which of you by worrying can make yourself grow taller? Nope, because some of you said I tried, it didn't work. <laughs> and why do you worry about clothes? Think about the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is tomorrow's cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Little faith. Little faith for a wardrobe. Just a little faith. Some of you tired of the clothes in your closet, get a little faith. Just a little bit. Whole new wardrobe. Why? He says, if I clothe the hills with flowers, why would I not clothe you? He's just talking about basic needs. Basic things. He hasn't got to advanced stuff. This is just basic stuff. Therefore, take no thought, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or where, what shall we wear? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. When you see the word Gentiles, don't just think nations. Think people who do not have a covenant with God. Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience, an audience that had a covenant with God, a covenant of provision, a covenant God said, I'll meet your needs. I'll be more than enough for you. They had a covenant with God. He says, all the people who don't have a covenant are worried about what they're going to eat, what are they going to drink, what are they going to wear, and by implication, where they're going to live. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these what? Did he, is he talking about spiritual stuff? This is natural, material stuff. But you seek first the what? kingdom of God. The way God operates, the way God does things, the power of God, the will of God, and his righteousness, and all these what? Things. What? What are the things by this? What you eat, what you drink, what you wear, by implication, where you live, shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about the things for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil or the trouble thereof. So you have to understand you have a covenant with God. The kingdom of God is within you, and God already says, I want to meet all your needs. Paul says another way, God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God has an economy. Say, the kingdom of God, kingdom of God has, an has an economy. And it's meant, and it's meant to produce, produce in my life. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We'll start with verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. He should lay his hands on them and pray for them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said, Allow the little children to come unto me. Don't forbid them, for of such is the what? Kingdom of God. Verily I say to you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will not enter therein. And he took them up in his, in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked, Good master, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why are you calling me good? There's none good but one that is God. You, knows the, you know the commandments. So he says, Hey, he, what is Jesus about to do? Challenge what this man believes. Do you just believe I'm a good teacher? Or do you believe I'm God? 
He's challenging his belief. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor your father and mother. Now, these are social commandments. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Teacher, I've done all these things you've said since I was little. Then Jesus beholded him, looked at him, loved him, and said unto him, you just lack one thing. That's pretty good. Because Jesus before us, he could say, well, you just lack a thousand and one things. This dude's pretty good. He's just lacking one thing. Go your way, sell whatever you have. Give to the poor. You shall have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. So he says, sell what you have. And we see later he had great possessions. Other translators call him the rich young ruler. He had a lot of stuff. But notice Jesus said that you're going to go broke. He said, follow me. And everybody told follow me, he put on his payroll. Jesus provided for them. Or the people who traveled with Jesus to pay for stuff paid for their bills. Because remember, a lot of these men had families back home, so they still had to send stuff to their families back home. So he's not saying, you go and live broke. No, he says, you stick with me. I got you. I'll meet all your needs. I'll take care of you. Come on, you're going to live like me. That's a pretty good exchange. You stop living off of your stuff, live off mine. And everybody said, follow me, too. They ended up with a ministry call. He said that to the apostles. Some people even speculate and begin to think, maybe this could have been Judas's replacement. Could you imagine this was an opportunity to be one of the 12? This was an opportunity to learn from Jesus personally, to be in his crew. But he was sad at that saint and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Grief is associated with loss. So he thought giving away at the command of Jesus was a loss. But notice this. Jesus never told him he had to leave. He could have stayed. He could have actually said, you know, I'm not there yet. And stuck around. Couldn't he? You know, some of you, you you're still working this thing out. You're trying to walk it out. You should be a hearer and a doer of the word. But there's some areas like, well... I'm not there yet, so I'm just not coming to church anymore. No, you keep coming. So, well, I don't get it yet. You keep coming, you'll get it. You just have to start acting on it. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. Now, look, if all the disciples were broke, they wouldn't have been astonished. They said, amen, that 1%, Jesus, they bad. Raise their taxes, Jesus. Take all their money. They're bad people. No. The disciples might have had some money to be astonished at what Jesus said. Because remember, some of them were business owners themselves. So Jesus clarifies the statement. How hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Why? This whole thing is about faith. Is your trust going to be in God? Or is your trust going to be in your money? or by implication, what you can get with your hands. Because remember, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Is your faith going to be in God, or is your faith going to be in what you can get with your hands? He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the avenue than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked upon them and says, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God, 
all things are possible. Because even if they trust in riches, he's saying, God can work on them and I can get them in. Then Peter began to say, began, notice began, to say to him, look, we left everything and followed you. Think about what Peter and Andrew and James and John left. All of those fishes by the sea. All of that money from that great catch. They left their businesses to follow after Jesus. Now notice what Jesus says to them. Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. Luke 18 says, for the kingdom of God's sake. But he shall receive a hundredfold, a hundred times now. Not in heaven. Now, in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands. No more wives. You got to make some things clear these days. With persecutions, with pressure from people. Which means when you receive a hundredfold return, somebody's going to start talking about you. I don't know why they have all that money. They don't need all that money. Why'd they get that money in the first place? They must have stole it. I don't know why they have that car. Why do they have that house? Why do they have that plane? And you end up on CNN and Fox News and they talk about you. So if you get the hundredfold, people are going to talk. They may tweet about you or subtweet you. Shrug it off and go to the bank. You really going to let what people have to say determine how much money you have? Because what bills in your life do they pay? So they, they have something to say about your money. So going, which bill in my life do you pay? Which one of my children do you send to school? Which one of my utilities do you pay? No. Oh, God bless you, sweetheart. Thank you for your opinion. I did not ask for it. Go your way and be blessed. You will have people pressure when you receive your hundredfold return. But you cannot let the people pressure make you be ashamed of the blessing of God. They don't think you should drive a nice car. Well, God didn't ask them. Don't be ashamed of your nice car or your nice house or your nice clothes or whatever you got in your life that God's blessed you with. Don't be ashamed of it and don't take pride in it. Just thank God for it. Don't hide your testimony like, who? no, oh, let me hide, this is a nice outfit, let me hide, walk by and act humble. That's not humble, that's religious stupidity. You're like, oh, if I hide what I got, I'm humble. No, that's just religion, making you hide the blessing of God. Humility is yielding to the plan of God. And in the world to come, eternal life. Go to John chapter 6, I'll show you some things. John chapter 6. Look at verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over, went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him. And because they saw the miracles which he did on them that were diseased, and Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company unto him, he said unto Philip, where shall we buy bread that everybody here may eat? 
And this he said to prove him, for he knew himself what to do. Prove here means to test his faith to make sure it was genuine. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Philip had no clue. So Jesus asked a very specific question. Where are we going to buy food for all these people? So the first thing you would do is go find out, well, how much do we have in the treasury? Because Jesus said we're going to buy something. And so, notice what Philip answered. 200 penny worth or 200 denarius of bread is not sufficient for everybody. What is a denarius or a penny worth? A day's wages, an average day wages. So if we all worked for 200 days, that still wouldn't be enough for everybody in this crowd to have a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, there is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. So you got to think about this. Don't just read the Bible, read the Bible. They're looking through the crowd for someone who has food, and this lad here means this kid is probably from the age of four to six. This is a little kid. He has five barley loaves and two fish. And at least we want to think, because we know what miracle is about to happen, these are some big loaves and some big fishes. No. When you look at it in the Greek, it's crackers and small pickled fish like anchovies. This is a kid's Lunchable. <laughs> so imagine this. Andrew is going through the crowd, and there's this little boy about to eat his Lunchable. And Andrew says, stop! Can imagine, what would you do if this random dude just jumps up to this five-year-old and says, stop! Don't eat that! Jesus needs your Lunchable! Imagine the scene. So he's bringing this little boy to Jesus. Come on, bring that Lunchable, come on. And he says, hey, this little kid has a Lunchable. You know the other disciples like, Drew, really? You stopped this important strategic planning meeting to bring up a Lunchable. Because even Andrew says, what are they among so many? Notice what happens next. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. The word men here actually means head of households. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men, the head of houses, the men head of households sat down in number about 5,000. So you had 5,000 head of households there. That doesn't include their wives, their children, or any of their parents who may have moved in with them. This is a huge crowd. This is easily a crowd of 20 to 40,000 people. And Jesus took the Lunchable. And when he had given thanks, one of the things I learned about this phrase from Rick Renner, it wasn't just he thanked God for it. He just kept thanking God. He just kept praising God. He kept blessing God. And as he did that, that Lunchable began to multiply. And then he took that Lunchable that was multiplying, and put it in the hands of the disciples, and Jesus kept thanking God. And as he kept thanking God, the lunchable that multiplied in his hands began to multiply in the hands of the disciples. And it began to multiply in the hands of the people. Notice what happened next. The disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fish as much as they would. What does that mean? People kept eating until they were full. And this wood doesn't mean just full. It means like full after Thanksgiving. 
when you knew you shouldn't have had that third and fourth course? You should have let that sweet potato pie alone. You know you didn't eat that extra slice of cake, but you said, it's Thanksgiving, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. And afterwards, you're on the couch going, whoo, Jesus. I won't do that again next year, but you do it again anyways. That's how full 20 to 40,000 people were. Notice, so that means people will keep, they will say, hey, 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 Peter, I want some more over here. Hey, James, I want some more over here. John, I want some more over here. Jesus, we need some more. And notice Jesus is saying, y'all greedy, stingy people. I already gave you a snack. You should be grateful for your snack. No, he just kept giving and giving and giving and giving till there was no more need, no more desire. They had more than enough. Because Jesus had gathered the fragments that remained. No one would think there would be fragments. What was left? Twelve baskets full. Twelve baskets. So not only does this little kid go home with much more than he came with, can you imagine the little kid walking home with this huge old basket? Hey, mama, look what I got. But also remember the whole time the disciples have been serving. They haven't been eating. They've been serving the people. But God never forgets those who serve. You know, we have people who are serving in kids' world in the nursery right now, serving in youth right now. We have people serving in the media booth right now. We have people serving in the parking lot. We have people who are serving here as ushers and hosts and the music team and the medical team. We have people serving in admin support. We have people serving in all these 21 different teams. We have people serving today. And people who come to church forget about the people who are serving. Some of them even dare to catch an attitude with them. And I've worked with my teams that don't catch an attitude back. Love them anyways. But God never forgets those who serve. He always makes sure you get what you need plus some. But notice this mentality of God. That Jesus gave more than enough. It reminds me of Malachi 3.10. When it says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be meat or provision in my house. And prove me now, put me to the test here where it says the Lord of hosts, if I not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there should not be room enough to receive it. Windows of heaven. Heaven. I'll open up heaven and take out of heaven and give you what you need. Now, windows of heaven is mentioned in other places in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, when it talks about the flood, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day, were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And it rained 40 days and 40 nights from the windows of heaven, so there's so much water that it covered the mountains. Because the windows of heaven were open. Came from Psalm 78, verse 23 says, Though he had commanded, talking about the children of the wilderness, the children of Israel, though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food and he sent them meat to the full. What is he talking about? The 40 years in the wilderness. How they ate manna that fell from heaven every single day. Some scholars said the manna would taste like whatever you wanted it to taste like. It fell from heaven every single day. And some people did a study on how much manna fell. 
They said every day, enough manna fell to feed Israel for thousands of years. So notice God wasn't stingy at all. Because he says, whatever you want, pick up. So if you're hungry today, pick up more. If you're not as hungry, pick up less. Whatever you want, it's yours. And notice the whole thing was an act of faith because if they didn't think it was going to happen again and they took too much for the purposes of thinking, oh, it may not come tomorrow, it rotted. It was all faith. Everything with God is done by faith. It was more than enough. One scholar said that if we added all together what fell every single day, I think the number was about 6.5 million tons of manna over 40 years. It came from the economy of the kingdom of God. See, but the windows of heaven are also mentioned somewhere else, 2 Kings chapter 7. Read for the New Living Translation. Elisha replied, because there was a time of famine. There was a time of scarcity. A time where people were eating things they would never have eaten. Because there was not enough food. There was an enemy army outside surrounding them. They couldn't get out. So they were starving in the city. Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour, will cost only one piece of silver and 12 quarts of barley. Grain will only cost one piece of silver. What is he saying? There's going to be plenty and it's going to be cheap. Because at this time, people were eating the flesh of a donkey. said, nobody wants to eat a donkey in the first place. Much more a donkey's head. But that was selling for a high price because of the famine. And the man of God says, by this time tomorrow, there will be plenty and it'll be cheap. So here's one of the king's advisors. Look what he had to say. He thought he was smart. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat it. You'll see it, but you won't get it because you refuse to believe. See, God is saying some things to you today, but will you believe it? He said some things to you today in tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy, but will you believe it? That will determine if you experience it. So you have to think, heaven does have an economy. Heaven does have abundance. But how do we get that here? Come on, how many know that's a good question? Because heaven is not lacking. They walk on gold there. Gold is very valuable here. It's cement there. So the question is, how do we get that here? Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Proverbs 8.12 says, I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. All you need is one idea from God. Or Roberts would tell people to pray for, you'll hear me say this when I do the blessing over you guys. God ideas, concepts, and insights. It is the ideas that come from God. The concepts and the insights that come from God that will bring heaven's economy into your life. 
it takes a God idea. And a lot of times, God ideas seem foolish. They seem crazy. It says the things of God are foolish to them of the world. But how many know an idea that once seems foolish is profitable? Watch this. Almost 100 years ago, there was a dude who liked to draw. So he drew, thank you, that's the rest I need. He drew a cartoon mouse. He wanted to name it Mortimer. His wife said, no, that's too long. Call it Mickey. And as he began his company, he would tell people it all started with a mouse. And as of December 2019, that month they brought in $20.86 billion. Cash on hand, $6.83 billion. And it all started with a crazy idea about a mouse. Apple had an idea for computers. But when you get to the 90s, there's a lot of personal computers. The market's not doing well, but then they begin to innovate. I've been preaching on innovation, haven't I? But they, they began to do something different with the computers. And they came up with this idea for an iPhone. And as of December 2019, that month they brought in $91.82 billion. And they have $39.77 billion cash on hand. An idea to innovate. Another company. It started out as an online marketplace for books. Come on, I remember ordering books from this company. But now, Amazon, December 2019, its revenue was $87.44 billion. They have $36.09 billion cash on hand. One idea. One idea. One idea. And you serve the God who is more than enough. And you have access to the economy of the kingdom of heaven. One idea. One concept, one insight, one implementation from the Holy Ghost. What can you do with an idea, with a creative invention, a witty invention? What ideas have you been sitting on? What ideas have you refused to work? Because a lot of people have a misunderstanding about faith. They think it's faith and no work. No, it's faith and hustle. You hustle under the grace of God. You work hard under the anointing of God. God said, I'll bless the work of your hands. So if you want God to bless them, go to work. See, we have to start believing God for disruptive innovations. Disruptive innovations. Disruptive innovation describes a process by which a product or service initially takes root in simple applications at the bottom of a market, typically by being less expensive and more accessible, and then relentlessly moves up market, eventually displacing established competitors. Disruptive innovation refers to a technology whose application significantly affects the way a market or industry functions. An example of modern disruptive innovation is the internet, which significantly altered the way companies did business 
and which negatively impacted companies that were unwilling to adapt to it. You need to believe God for disruptive innovations. Ideas that no one else is doing. It's time out for the world leading innovation, leading creativity, leading all these things. And a lot of the times they lead that way because the church wouldn't take ideas from God. When you even look at the history of media in this nation, you have to look back when even the big three networks before cable TV, everything else, when you go back, a lot of their bills were met because of the church was on TV, because of people like Oral Roberts and Rex Humbard and their TV shows. But the church kept calling TV bad. TV's evil. That TV's of the devil. It's like Ricky Bobby and Bobby Boucher. And so we back away from media. We back away from social media. We back away from technology, and the world runs it, and now we're following after them. When if we would take ideas, concepts, and insights from the Holy Ghost and believe for disruptive innovations, we would lead the marketplace. Just takes an idea. And someone willing to access that idea from heaven and work it and run with it. It's time out for you just believing for one good stream of income. Well, this is a good stream of income. You know, this is good. It meets my needs for me, my four, no more. No, no, no. This is the day you need to believe for multiple streams of income because the stream is not your source. God is your source, and he has many resources. So you should believe God for multiple streams of income. Now, that doesn't mean he told you to go get multiple jobs. Now, if he tells you to do so, then that's what you do. But he may tell you to start multiple companies. Now, it's good to train our kids with the wisdom they need to work in the corporate world. But why don't we also train them with the wisdom to start their own business and corporations? Well, this is how you be a good employee. Cool, teach them that, but teach them how to be a good boss. Teach them how to be a good employer. Teach them how to create jobs. Because that wisdom doesn't just come from colleges. Yeah, they got some wisdom in education. But they don't know everything. Come on, you know there are billionaires now who are college dropouts? One idea. The kingdom of God rules over all. One idea can get the economy of that kingdom in your everyday life. But you must get that idea from the Holy Ghost. Get that dream and vision from the Holy Ghost. Pray it out. Get the implementation for that idea. And then walk that thing out. Well, I don't have a lot of extra time. Your phone says you've been on social media a lot. You got a lot of extra time. Your Netflix account, your Disney Plus account, your TV habits say you have a whole lot of extra time. You have more time than you think you do. Oh, if God just gives me more hours a day, nobody's getting more hours. We actually just lost one. <laughs> you have all the time you need to work what God tells you to work. Now, someone's like, well, I literally have no more time. Well, maybe you're doing something I'm supposed to do. Have you ever considered that? Never confuse activity with production. 
you're running a million miles an hour and going nowhere. You're just on a treadmill. So you have to reanalyze your life. Am I doing what God wants me to do? Are there some things I talked to a couple weeks ago that I need to cut out? Are there some things I need to innovate? You guys have to get ideas from the Holy Ghost and run with it. There are people in this congregation told me testimonies of these ideas that would have seemed wild a few years ago until it hit. Come on, when ideas from the Holy Ghost hit, it hits different. And you see them walk in the miracle testimony. And I remember when it was just a prayer request. And now we see the miracle. You have to start somewhere. This is not a message for well, all these young people. No, all you people. None of you are close to 120, so all you young people. All you young people. Whether you have some decades with your youngness or not. Go for it. Run after the plan of God. Run the path of God. Get those ideas, concepts, and insights from the Holy Ghost and run with it. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.